How many of you watched the Phil Donahue program? Golly, no. <laughs> ever. Who has ever watched the Phil Donahue program? Okay. <laughs> Phil Donahue is a very nice man. I can tell this because I was not sworn to secrecy, and I believe I've told you before. That when the special was done on the children for the Center for Attitudinal Healing, Phil Donahue donated his fee to the center. And he also donated, he agreed to, he said that he would also donate a fee for any reruns of the program. Of course, the program won an Emmy, and it was rerun. So I'm certainly not singling him out as a bad guy when I talk about what's happened on that particular show, if you've followed it over the years. You know that he started out, just like all the popular magazines and other talk shows, talking about what were current problems of the day, the human condition, so that you ha would have Subjects such as, in the beginning, you'd have subjects such as uh, children from divorced families. <laughs> now, it's children who are not from divorced families. That's the, that's the uh, exception. Uh, you'd have uh, maybe discrimination against race in business. Uh, more recently, maybe you'd have sexual harassment in business. Uh, Possibly you would have uh, mixed marriages or uh, the problems of an adopted child uh, and so forth. But as the years have gone on and the human condition has been discussed over and over and over, uh, he's now having to come up with things like uh, <laughs> uh, gay hang gliders or... Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, are, are the problems of the overly tall uh, sewer engineer. <laughs> that means sewer cleaner. You see, every, engineer means cleaner now. So, uh, The human condition is rehearsed and raked over everywhere we look, in every magazine. And you can just see the editors of these magazines trying to come up with something else, some new minority. And, and if we do happen to turn on the Phil Donahue program, we, indeed, we get all caught up in the problems of uh, the overly tall sewer cleaner. Uh, we can see this is a real problem. And should these people be excluded from that job? And maybe we should make our sewers wider and taller. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you can get all caught up in this. And one of the things that happens, I know a lot of people who talk spiritual like I do. Stand up and they talk spiritual in front of a, in front of a crowd. And one of the things that I notice that we sometimes do is that everyone is so jaded They've heard so many words. They've heard so many conditions discussed, endlessly uh, discussed. So many sides, so many solutions put forward that there is occasionally a tendency to, to shock an audience 
in order to get people's attention. This, of course, is a mistake. And I know that uh, from <laughs> I know that a few of you felt that I had done that last Sunday, um, and perhaps I did. Uh, but you know what's shocking to one person is not shocking to another. And, uh, but our purpose here, and I would like for you to hold me to this, is peace. I truly do wish you to walk from this room an hour after you arrive here feeling more relaxed, having a sense of relief, realizing that it's not so hard, and not stirred up. So I will do my best not to stir you up this morning, but just to uh, maybe we can place a gentle smile on each other's face. The topic is, what am I? The ego, of course, answers this according to our uh, age or our job or possibly our race or a thousand other things. What do you do? I was in a... Uh, restaurant. Gail and I were in a restaurant uh, a couple nights ago, and we were waiting for, well, it was, we were over at uh, Shoko Cafe, we were waiting for an opening at the sushi bar, and there were some people across from us, and a guy came in, and he saw another guy, and he says, I recognize you all, and, the, and they started trying talking, trying to find out where they had seen each other, and the man who walked in said, well, you, uh, what, what do you do? What is your work? And the guy who was sitting on the bench said, I don't remember exactly what he said, but the impression he left was, well, he couldn't remember exactly when he worked last. And, uh, <laughs> but he said it in such a way as, uh, I don't really need to work. Uh, I mean, we all had the feeling this must be an extremely wealthy uh, person. And... Uh, Oh, and then suddenly the guy's eyes lit up and walked in. He said, oh, I remember where I saw you. You used to wait over at uh, Bagel and Lombard. <laughs> so what had happened was that he had tried to set up a fantasy about what he did in life and then was very embarrassed because what the guy had actually seen, he'd actually wait on a table, you see. And so he was actually putting forth something he thought would be more uh, honored than what he had actually done. And don't we all do this in one form or another? Especially in a social situation. Don't we use those situations to sort of build ourselves up in one way or another by embellishing a little bit on what we do? How many of us have tried to think of a very good title to what we do, so we can, <laughs> we can say this, do you see? The question is, what is it we're building up? What is it we're enhancing? And do we wish to enhance this? Now, perhaps you can remember a time in which you were waking from a dream and your mind was shuttling back and forth 
between where you were in bed and the situation. Perhaps you were traveling. Perhaps you were in a motel or something. And what you were in the dream. We've talked about this before. These two identities. Now, strictly speaking, on that level, they're both dream identities. But once, we'll just call one of them real. You're in the bed. You're in the motel. You're traveling across country, let's say. And then there's whatever you were in the dream. Now, notice what keeps you sleeping and what allows you to wake. It is simply the focus of your mind. If you wish to sleep a little bit longer, you will focus back on the dream. And perhaps you will dream a few minutes more. You can't dream much longer because now you already know it's a dream. This has is, this is put a termination to the whole thing. But you can delay your waking up by switching back to the character you were in the dream. And what do you do if you wish to wake up? Perhaps you need to get on the road right away before the traffic starts. You will focus on what you are. You will focus on this body in the bed. It's a very simple process. And the process whereby we awaken to our actual identity is exactly the same. There's no mystery to it. We can either focus on what we are in the dream, the waking dream, or we can focus on what we are in truth. And every time we focus on what we are in truth, we come out of the dream a little bit more, and we cannot drop back into it quite so far. So what are you in this life is but a dream, as the song says, as all the great religions and philosophies say? Well, you're lonely, you're a body. You've been playing out this little soap opera. You're born in a certain place, you're going to die in another place. You've had certain encounters, you've had certain jobs and so forth. There's this whole little life, this whole little story that you could sit down and tell someone about. And that's a fairly unhappy story, as many of you have come to understand, because your friends do leave you, or they die, or their personalities change or something. So that little story you've begun to realize is an unhappy story because it entails this tremendous isolation whereby we look out of these little holes in the front of our head. You know, and we listen to people through the words as we learned them growing up. What chance is there of understanding someone when our definition of every word they use is different than their definition? Have you thought of that? You learned every word in a context it has a certain meaning to you, a certain association. Notice how your child learns a given word. Notice all the associations around that particular word. Then it's, it's built upon, added to. Now you take something that's in a body 
And it's listening to these words. Does it really know what the other person's saying? You see how isolated we are, how cut off we are. If that is all we are, something, and we're not quite sure what it is, inside of a body, is it located in the brain? People used to think it was located in the heart. The brain was just some sort of mechanism that cooled the blood. It does look sort of like a radiator. Perhaps they were right out. And then this uh, growing hatred of the very body we think we are. It's betraying us by getting older. We're quite embarrassed of this fact that we've gotten older. We see people we haven't seen for a while. And we're quite embarrassed that we've gotten older. And there's these funny little things growing on our body now. We don't have the strength. And, and we say things like. We make jokes about adolescents and what they can do and what we can't do any longer. And our friends, to whom this is also happening, joke along with us, but there's a great sadness because the whole thing is coming to an end now. We're on the down slope of all this, if that's all we are. Now, you wouldn't be here, most of you wouldn't be here, if you hadn't begun to suspect something entirely different is going on. And what is that? It can be described with words like peace, a gentle feeling. You remember the song, the song, those dear hearts and gentle people in my hometown, dear hearts and gentle people. Just look at that picture for a moment. Those dear hearts and gentle people in my hometown. You see the unity in that? You see the coming together? You see how age doesn't make any difference? What you do doesn't make any difference? Whether you just lost the election to be sheriff or whatever. Those dear hearts and gentle people, you can just feel the warmth, can't you? What does that have to do with the body of this decaying cage of flesh? It has nothing to do with it. What does laughter have to do with it? What does love have to do with it? What is this great stillness that most of you have felt at least once or twice in some meditation or prayer? This great, great stillness that is pure light extending everywhere, including everywhere. That's pure love. The light that is love that is stillness, that is joy, that is life. Just a glimpse of it. Something else going on. That is the shifting of the attention. Oh, I'm in the bed in the motel. I'm not with this character in the dream. See, That's all that's happened. The mind is just temporarily focused on what at first appears to be another reality. So, join me with me. Now, just for a moment, let's just practice that just for a second. If you'd close your eyes just for a moment. And you're just going to try to shift your attention in a direction. You're not even sure anything's there, perhaps. 
Maybe this seems all so vague to you that there's a great sense of unreality about the very things that I'm saying. So this is an experiment. Someone is simply standing before you and what he says is a dream and telling you you're not in the dream. You're in the arms of God. And your reality is pure love and pure peace. And you are one with every living thing. And they understand everything in your heart and you understand everything. That seems so Pollyannish. Could it, could it be true? So just for a moment, just try shifting your attention to that gentle light of God. Perhaps you heard during that time the little whisper of a child. Perhaps you heard the crow, a crow far off. You see how you see how you reached out and things came into your experience that weren't there before, just in that moment of stillness. Perhaps you became aware of this living person beside you. Okay. Now, as, as we identify with the body and we go through the day, we're very much like a xylophone. And everything plays a tune on us. This is why we feel so adrift, so much a victim. Everything plays a tune on us. Notice this as you get up in the morning. You are... A hand reaches out from the alarm clock and tells you what to feel. It tells you to be anxious. It tells you to hurry, and you hurry. The unmade bed reaches a hand out and tells you what kind of person you are. <laughs> you go into the kitchen. And there are only sugar pops. <laughs> or Count Chocula. And you actually eat it. <laughs> Another hand reaches out. <clears throat> tells you what kind of person you really are. Every single thing that your eyes rest upon. Tells you what you are snaps its finger and tells you what to think and how to feel. This is inescapable if you believe that you are a body. That's all you are is this body. Because the plight of the body is then your plight. And you've had to put sugar pops in the body, which you are. And now the sugar pops are going throughout your system, <laughs> affecting every nerve in your body. But if that's just a dream, if that's just an image, like in the dream at night, then you do not have to respond to that. Setting the goal of peace It's something that, first of all, uh, will 
Someone can only say the words, I, I want the peace of God. The peace of God is important. I will set that as my goal. If we just say those words. I want to be gentle. I don't want to hurt anyone. Today, let me hurt no one in my thought or in anything that I do. We just say those words. It has very little meaning in the beginning. What does it mean to choose every activity with only one criterion in mind? And that is, will it be peaceful for you to do this? Well, you wouldn't ask yourself how long anything would take. Your purpose is peace. You would start the activity as a child starts an activity. Never asking how long it will take. How many times has your child started something just as you wanted to leave the, the house? You're on your way someplace and the child starts an activity. And we turn and say, we, you don't have time to do that. He just had time. Right that moment he had time. He spent seven seconds doing it. How <laughs> seven seconds he wasn't worrying. If peace were our only goal, would we hesitate in stopping something before it was finished? No, because peace is our goal. What difference does it make whether it's finished? It's there to serve us. We've talked about a number of things already here at the Dispensable Church that are helpful in choosing this other focus, this focus of this thing that's in the bed and so forth. But now we're choosing the thing that's created of God, that's loved of God, that's only talked about in books. It seems so unreal and so vague. We get so discouraged about. We have talked about a slightly different path because in the beginning, the path we talked about here was simply noticing, simply being aware, being aware of the fear, being aware of the guilt, <coughs> nothing more than that. And maybe some of you saw how powerful that could be, just noticing it, how it dissolved so easily, and you just became aware of the jealousy or the fretting or whatever it may be. But several Sundays ago, we began talking about a slightly different path, a path of consciously choosing so let me mention just a few of the things that we've already talked about here. We've talked about beginning the day by setting a gentle purpose. Just taking a moment to say to yourself, my purpose today is to wake up. That means my purpose today is to be at peace and to be happy. Now this seems so vague. I wish I could tell you, I wish I could somehow reach into your heart, those of you who do not know this yet, and tell you that this is the strongest reality there is. There's, this is so powerful and so substantive that it will turn everything in your past experience into a dream like that when you see it. When you choose to be happy, 
when you choose to be at peace, when you choose to be comfortable, when you choose to be relaxed right now, you are, enter, you are literally entering the kingdom of heaven, which is at hand. You're actually beginning to see what you are and where you are when this happens. But we've, missed, we've used these words up to be happy. To be relaxed. I don't know any other words to tell you. It's a focus. When do you wake up from a dream at night? When you focus your mind on what's in the bed rather than what's in the dream. That's when you wake up. That's how you participate in the waking up process. When is it done? Now. It cannot be thought about. You cannot plan to do it. You can't read books on how to do it. That doesn't do it. To read books on it. You can't endlessly discuss it. You can't try to find people who will discuss it with you. That doesn't do it. You can run all through the dream and talk about this endlessly, but until you actually focus on what's on in the bed, you will not be participating in the waking up process. Until you decide that it's important for you to be relaxed and happy and peaceful and to forgive people and to reach out a hand to help them rather than to hurt them and to not take sides against other people, and to bless people while the gossip's going on, but to continue the gossip because you don't want people to feel uncomfortable because you're not participating in it, but you, you bless them. You see, you bless the person. I think uh, the people from Sunday school have escaped. <laughs> we have a jailbreak, it sounds like. <laughs> So we've talked about that, just starting the day gently with the thought of peace, with trying one more time. Now, your ego will step in and set expectations. Perhaps you've noticed that the time that you usually get discouraged is toward the end of the day. Late in the afternoon or in the evening. <clears throat> perhaps you perhaps you're one of these people who keeps staying up later and later to somehow try to salvage the day. <laughs> You have this vague feeling that you didn't do it today, and so you wander around the house just doing little things or something, but not quite getting to bed, you see. The reason that happens is very simple, and that is whenever we set a spiritual goal, Edgar, the higher ego, sets an external goal along with it. It tells us what what we have to do, how we have to behave, how we have to feel that day in order to accomplish our goal. But nothing in the world will tell you that. You cannot judge your progress by what you did or how many times you got angry or whether you lied. That will tell you nothing. That's in the dream. That won't tell you anything. Edgar thinks that there are spiritual things to do and unspiritual things to do. We've talked about that so many times. Edgar isn't asking you to wake up. Edgar is saying you should have done this other thing in the dream. <clears throat> of course, it wouldn't have made any difference. 
Notice the expectations that you set. Nothing is expected of you behaviorally. There's nothing to do. There's no way to act. There's no way you're going to be able to look back and see how much progress you made. The only thing to do is to again be relaxed and peaceful and happy. It's to again bless the world. Another thing that we've talked about here is stepping in and out of the day. To sink, the day comes in chunks. We go into it. We step back from it. Just a second or two. This can be done while you're driving a car. It can be done while you're talking to someone. You're stepping back now. An activity, there's this little cusp between events. You're beginning to recognize the cusp now. And you go ahead and do something during the cusp. Just step back for a second. Bless someone. Be peaceful. Remember God. Remember home. Say to yourself, I am already home. Let's silently say that to ourselves together. Let's close our eyes and say that. I'm already home. Can you get a sense of the brightness if you're already home that surrounds you, the love that already surrounds you if you're already home? You never worked there. You were home. Okay. And we've talked about simplicity. We've talked about eating the foods that make you peaceful. Wearing the clothes that make you peaceful. Choosing the activities that make you peaceful. The ego does not understand peace. The ego thinks that peace is very boring. <laughs> but peace is the soil from which happiness and love and the ability to truly help people springs. It just means to be relaxed, enjoy yourself. This is a focus to relax. The ego doesn't think it's important to be relaxed. It thinks it's a clear danger to be relaxed. Because it's telling you something is going undone while you're relaxed. Nothing's going undone. There is nothing for you to do. Look at how many people go into coma. Two, three, four, five, six months. Did it make any difference? The world just kept right on. They're always surprised that nothing really changed much while they were gone. Maybe a new building was started down the corner or something like that. But a new building's always being started on the corner. There's nothing to do except to be happy, which means to wake up. And when you do this, A Course in Miracles says that a wave of joy goes around the world and touches the heart of everyone on this planet when you choose simple happiness and peace. 
but just choose it because it makes you feel good to do that. And then you will have a growing sense of substance. And suddenly, a time will come in which you will actually see what we've been talking about. That you really do want the peace of God as your single goal. And that this is something that's quite possible for you to do. So that now every question that arises, you apply only that criterion. Will this make me more peaceful to do this, to choose this? So I want to add two or three things to, to this conscious choosing. Because now this we're going beyond just simple awareness. Simple recognition. We're now actively participating in the waking up process. And one of them is the thing that I've already talked about here, and that is becoming very aware of your choices as you go through the day. Notice every time you choose anything. Are you a xylophone? Is it playing a tune on you? Is it telling you what you are and what, how you're to feel and so forth? Notice that you don't have to go along with this. Be aware of the choice. Are you choosing some state of conflict in the hopes it will bring some future result? The only time to be happy is now. Be aware of everything you do. Not fearful of it, just conscious of your choice. Now in the beginning, what will happen is you will sort of wake up after the choice and you'll have to undo it. I'm very sorry about this. But this is a stage that we all have to go through. And that is, is, there's sort of an undoing process whereby we're just making a whole lot of mistakes, but now we catch ourselves after having made the mistake, and now we've got to call the person up and says, no, you know, I just can't come to the party Friday night. Well, why can't you come Well, I don't know. <laughs> and this is very embarrassing, but it won't last long. This stage, you know, of undoing. Make the mistake, and then, oh gosh, I did it again. I chose out of fear. I don't want to choose out of fear. So, you pick up the phone or you do whatever it is you do. You take the thing back to the store. It's not making you peaceful. Now, of course, Edgar will step in and say, it ought to make you peaceful. You shouldn't have any problem with this. You ought to be able to eat this. You ought to be able to wear this. You ought to be able to go to such and such an activity. It's very interesting that that is one of the three temptations of Jesus. That he was to test truth. Isn't that interesting? Of all the temptations that could have been cited. That one of them was to test truth. The devil took Jesus up into the pinnacle of the temple. And said. Why don't you just throw yourself over? Because doesn't the Bible say. That the angels of God will lift you up. he said, yes, but it also says not to test God. Ego will always want you to test. You ought to be able to do it. So you just say, well, I can't do it, and so I will choose peace. I'll choose love. Second suggestion is to be fearless. Now, this is especially, Edgar will come in on this one, because uh, to be fearless uh, well, for example, it says you ought to hug people. See, Edgar always takes the words 
translates it into something. So you ought to be able to hug. You don't, but you don't like to hug. Don't like to hug. But Edgar says, "Oh, that's because of your dad, your your father." You see, he was he was so stiff and so forth. And so, because you now see that, you ought to be able to hug. And you still don't like hugging, you see. But you force yourself to hug. Why? Why force yourself to hug? It is not more spiritual to hug. It's okay if you like to hug. You love, you see. Or uh, you ought to confront people. Maybe you're at a time in which there's a lot of confronting going on. You ought to be able. You ought to have this out. You ought to have a heart-to-heart talk about this thing. You ought to enjoy that. This is a good thing. But you don't enjoy it. Walk around it. There's no rule. You have to do anything. You do not have to do anything. Do not have to do anything. Anything, anything, anything. There's nothing you have to do that that has anything to do with making progress. Progress is a focus of the mind onto gentleness, onto relaxation, onto peace, onto love, onto joining. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with behavior. But Edgar says it has everything to do with behavior. And that's why you may feel depressed in the day because you thought it had something to do with behavior. So instead of being depressed, try this little exercise. (coughs) First of all, go back and acknowledge the gentle moments, the efforts that you did make, your periods of peace. Give yourself credit for what you did do. Now, Edgar will scream bloody murder, doesn't want you to do that, you know, it's part of your mind, doesn't want you to do that. And then there will be these other periods in which you were angry or irritated or depressed or discouraged or whatever it was. Remember those as the times you turned back to peace, because isn't that, in fact, what you did? Yes, you were distressed. Yes, you were discouraged. But wasn't that merely the time in which you saw the discouragement, you recognized it, and you made a little effort? Maybe it was very little, but you did. So remember the lapses as the times you turned back to God even a little bit. And remember the times of peace. Because discouragement is love of the ego. It will not comfort you. It will not rest you. It is not a good feeling. It is not a warm bath. It gets you nowhere. It leaves you empty and alone. It is the love of the ego. You can walk away from it so easily just by doing the one thing that you need to do. And the third suggestion is to take a moment to bless someone that you've just attacked in your thought or in your conversation and so forth. Now let's just look at a few things that we've done. You see, waking up could be divided into two processes. There are into two recognitions. One is just the general recognition of the allness of God. That all around us is the beauty of God and the love of God. The second thing is a a sense of our oneness with other people. So here we've talked about not taking sides against people as something you can actively do. 
This doesn't mean that you verbally do it, but in your heart you don't take sides against one friend, against another. We've talked about not completing an attack thought. So you'll wake up in the middle of an attack thought. But the attack thought has a beginning and an ending. Your ego wants you to carry the attack thought through to a certain conclusion, which will be distress. Now, if you wake up at any point, notice you do not have to complete the attack thought. But notice when you try to not complete it, there's almost a sense of struggle with your ego. You see, we're very much like uh, lion tamers, but we are ego tamers. Well, let's say you were a great lion, lion tamer and someone brought you a new kind of animal from South America. What would you do? Well, you would try things. You want the animal to be peaceful. You want to have a relationship with the animal. You want the animal to love you and so forth. You want to be able to direct the animal to do things that you know will make it happy, to eat foods that will give it strength. To go, to go outside a certain environment so it will maybe possibly to be able to relate to other animals like that. As a great animal trainer, you want this of this new animal that you've never trained. So what do you do? Well, you try things. You just look at the animal and you try this and maybe that doesn't make it peaceful and so you try something else. And that's what we are doing with our ego. We're just gently putting our ego to sleep. That's all we're doing. So you just try this and you try. It doesn't matter whether or not someone else has come up with that formula. No one will come up with the same formula as you're coming up with because you're dealing with your ego. So you just try this and you try that and someone says, uh, let's go backpacking. They used to call it camping. <laughs> we, don't, we don't call it camping anymore because who's, no one, you know, no decent person is going to use a camp. You don't camp anymore. You don't set, actually set up a camp. This, this would be just too comfortable for words. We just couldn't do that. So it's now backpacking and you never set up a camp and you just forge right through the forest and everything is safe. And someone invites you and, and they say, oh, it'll be good for you. You need to get out, you see. Meaning, it's more spiritual for you to go backpacking. But you say, excuse me, I gotta go to the bathroom. <coughs> so you go to the bathroom. And pause a minute. You didn't say why you had to go to the bathroom. Just... Pause a minute. You say, now remember, you're taming your ego. Is this going to make your ego anxious and fearful and upset? Are you going to have a war with yourself the whole time? Do you have visions of long, many-legged things crawling into your sleeping bag, you see? Maybe you don't like the little splats of bug of blood with the mosquitoes, you see, when you slap You don't like that, you see. Ah, but you should. It's spiritual to slap mosquitoes. Or just to let them bite you. That's the most spiritual thing of all. <laughs> Don't they need to eat too? Okay. So you see, oh no, I, I think it'd be more peaceful for me to stay home and work in the garden or wherever you want to do. So you go out and say, well, I'm sorry, but my mother's having her leg amputated. And <laughs> Do not contrast yourself. Now, what we're talking about now is one is this broad loveliness, this, this lake of love that we're actually in, we catch glimpses of. Now there's this joining, this joining with other people. 
These words mean nothing, although they've been said over and over. You are actually everyone else, just as you are in a dream. Your mind divides itself into all these characters in a dream. You're every one of the people in the dream. But that just is meaningless. What does that mean to us? Those are just words. I am one with everyone else. So the first meaningless statement is, I am one with God. I and my Father are one. That's meaningless. What meaning does that have to us? But the little pieces of it are so much fun. Every time you can feel a sense of joining with someone. Now, the ego will come in in a social situation, for example, and ask you to contrast yourself with the other individual. So, vegetarian comes up. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to talk about not eating meat. This has now come up in the, in the conversation. And someone, and so everyone's agreed that shouldn't eat meat. But there's a person there who says, yes, but you're wearing a leather belt. <laughs> Do you have any idea of how many innocent little sheep and moo cows had to be slaughtered? You know how they're slaughtered? <clears throat> to get your belt? I can just picture the very moo cow that your belt came from. It was eating grass. It was not hurting anybody. But you had to go out and buy your belt. Now, you see, we do this at come. The ego will step in in a social situation and it will say, oh, great, great opportunity here. You've got, great, got all these people and, and you can make yourself really stand out. So you want to now talk about your travels. Well, it used to be your travels. You could talk about where you'd gone in the world and what trip you just came. But now it's astral travels. That's <laughs> the same thing. Notice, notice this excitement and this urge. Notice it's not a happy feeling. When you get around people in a social situation, you want to start saying things to set yourself apart. That's the ego. That's the little animal you want to tame. You want to put it back to sleep. It's gotten all excited. All these people, can, their eyes can get big as you, as you tell them about Upper Slobovia and that they all, they all walk on their hands, you see, in Upper Slobovia. Got to wear these little mittens and walk on <laughs> So don't contrast yourself. Why? Because you'll be happier if you don't contrast yourself. If you think of how much you love this brother or sister before you. And allow the joining to take place because it's a fact. That's why you don't have to do anything to bring about the joining. But you have to do something to bring about the contrast. The sense of contrast between you and someone else requires effort. Relaxation allows the fact to manifest that you are one with this brother and sister, that you've known this person a very long time. A very, very, very long time. And you're going to walk into the heart of God with this individual, even though there's no evidence of it now. Because they've just had their 18th margarita. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So things we've covered are not to choose sides, not to complete attack thoughts. This is a, in, in oneness. This is realizing oneness. Not to contrast yourself. And last time we talked about putting someone else's happiness first. This doesn't have to be a spouse. This doesn't have to be a lover. This can be a friend. This is a starting place. Just pick someone and put their happiness first. 
They'll be so happy about it. You don't tell them, do you see? They won't, you won't be able to, they just won't be able to figure out why they're so happy when they're around you. It's because you have decided to put their happiness first. And they'll be calling you up much more often to get together for lunch and everything else. And you'll just see how easy it is to make someone bubble. It's a starting place that to give is to receive. No one believes that. You've got to do it and have the experience before you'll believe it. You can say it all your life and it means nothing. You have actually got to decide to put someone, maybe it's your parent in, a, in another city. How are you going to put their happiness first? It may be to call them. It may be to not call them. Maybe you've been calling them too much. <laughs> you are not discouragement. You are not irritation. Irritation is just homesickness. We're never irritated for the reason we think. We know we're waking up. We know, we know we're going home and we get irritated because one more thing has happened and we feel like we've lost the opportunity and we didn't do it and we're never going to learn all this stuff. That's why we got irritated because you didn't get irritated another time when that very same thing happened. You are not your past mistakes. You're not your fears of the future. This beleaguered picture that perhaps you have of yourself, this beleaguered picture, that's not what you are. And you're not your bodily sensations. It's very interesting what can happen with the body. Healings take place, there's no doubt about it, but there's something else that can happen that's equally as fine. And I don't really know why it happens this way, but this, it's, clear, it's clear that it does. You can actually get to the point where you sort of don't care anymore about what's going on in your body. It just is not of much interest and it doesn't disturb you anymore. I've spoken to you about Mrs. Fulton, this woman, uh, this Christian science practitioner that I went to as a boy. Mrs. Fulton's one eye wouldn't open. Her eye was closed and she had arthritis, I assume that's what it was so badly that she could barely walk. She had to lean on her sister. Now Mrs. Fulton healed quickly and easily and with almost a, without a single word whenever you called her. She, she was obviously very close to relinquishing her ego. You just couldn't be in her presence without realizing that she was more in God than she was in this world. But that didn't mean you felt separated from her. It has just the opposite effect. You're being taken home with her. But I suspect that Mrs. Fulton had stopped trying to get her eye to open or arthritis to go away. I suspect it didn't make any difference to her any longer. That can happen. So we've sung the song about row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. It's more actually like a raft. The raft is going down the stream. And what we first learn is we take the path of least resistance, this taming of the ego. We choose the way of peace. We buy the things in our house that make us peaceful. 
We put away the things that don't make us peaceful. And everything else. We, we go the way. Of, now what happens is, as you begin to wake up just a little bit, at first you think you're on a raft going down a stream, and now instead of this stream being a very ugly, dirty, scummy stream, as if the stream itself begins to, you begin to hear the lapping of the waves and see the sparkling of light and all. It's not that you're not aware of the pollution in the water, but you begin to see this other beauty. It's like two realities superimposed on each other, but now you're becoming aware of the other one. And then you become aware that other people are part of this reality. They're your brothers and sisters. And then you become aware that you are real. You're actually real. You have nothing to do with this little life. And then what happens is that you're not quite sure if you're the person on the raft or you're the raft or you're the birds flying over the stream or you're the light playing. You're not quite sure. So broad is your love now. And now you don't have to stop and fight every battle. You see the gates of heaven opening. You see how many hands you can take and call them out of despair. <clears throat> how many people saw the movie E.T.? Such a wonderful metaphor. He's home. I want to go home. As children, we're surrounded by love. Unless something goes very wrong, a child knows love and expects love and counts on love and expects everyone around him to love him. Not that there isn't anger or something occasionally, but it's a given home that we're loved. And then there's this shock going out into the world and realizing it's not that way anymore. <coughs> But we're surrounded by love. We are home. We're surrounded by the arms of God. And so I wonder if you would join with me. and Close your eyes and just say this one simple prayer. <coughs> I have never left home. And I'm so happy. Just say that. Say those words to yourself. Your eyes closed. And sense it. It's a fact. Sense it just a little. God has placed his hand upon your head. <coughs> 